We are so glad you've joined us today for our Thursday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today we are continuing our study in the book of 2 Samuel. So let's listen in now to Pastor Dave. Soon your trials will be over. And then it says in verse 9, May God do so to Abner more also if I do not do for David as the Lord has sworn to him to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and set up the throne of David over Israel, over Judah, from Dan to Beersheba. And he could not answer Abner another word because he feared him. One's a warrior. The other one is not. So Abner's offended. Uh, Now he's determined to transfer all the weight of his influence to David and give the whole kingdom over to him. And then in verse 12, then Abner sent messengers on his behalf to David, saying, Whose is the land? Saying also, Make your covenant with me, and indeed my hand shall be with you to bring all Israel to you. Now, no doubt David um, uh, jumps at this chance. He accepts this offer because now he can bring the whole kingdom together, what? Peaceably. Someone's going to come over. The whole army's going to come over. If everyone's going to come over, there's not a fight to be fought. He says, Absolutely. That would be a great thing to do. And David said, good, I will make a covenant with you. But one thing I require of you, you shall not see my face unless you first bring Michael, Saul's daughter, when you come to see me. So come to see my face. So David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, give me my wife Michael, whom I betrothed myself for a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. And Ishbosheth sent and took her for her husband from Paltiel, the son of Laish, then her husband went along with her to Baharim, weeping behind her. So Abner said to him, go return, and he returned. So David's going to test Abner's ability to really be able to do that. And he tests him by saying, okay, if you can really do this for me, then you should be able to persuade Ishbosheth to be able to give me my wife, Michael. And so as he then sends messengers to Ishbosheth saying, I want my wife, Michael, the one who I gave 400 foreskins of the Philistines. Why does he have to add that? Because I personally believe he's, he's kind of boasting a little bit of just saying, you know what kind of a warrior I am? You know how I got her? Is that I killed 400 Philistines and I gave them to your father. And Ishbosheth's never done a day of battle in his life. And he's saying that to kind of intimidate him. And he wants to make sure if he can, you know, make good on this. Most likely, Ishbosheth saw his kingdom getting weaker and weaker. And David has now posed a, uh, um, has asked of him to do something. He's going to do it because he sees his kingdom getting weaker and weaker. And he does not want to get into a fight with David. Verse 17, now Abner had communicated with the elders of Israel, saying, in times past you were seeking for David to be king over you. Now then do it, for the Lord has spoken of David, saying, by the hand of my servant David I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and the hand of all their enemies. It seems to me that Abner was going to these tribes, persuading them to remain with the house of Saul and to support Ishbosheth. But he says here, in times past you were seeking for David to be king over you. Is it possible that some of those tribes were seeking David to be king over them 
at that time. Now, I do believe it's speaking even further back where Saul had killed his thousands and David has killed his ten thousands and he was very popular with all the people and, and no doubt some of the tribes were, were hoping one day that David, I, I get that, I do believe that's part of it. But I also believe that there's probably some communication that Abner gave that swayed them. And now he's saying, remember how we've talked? Why don't we go now? Now's the time to go. Now's the time to go. Um, in times past, you were seeking for David to be king over you. Now then do it. So it says in verse 19, And Abner also spoke in the hearing of Benjamin. This is also very important because where did Saul come from? The house of Benjamin. Then Abner also went to speak in the hearing of David in Hebron, all that seemed good to Israel, and the whole house of Benjamin was there as well. Now, Benjamin has probably come over because Michael, the daughter of Saul, is now back with David. Marriages sometimes or most times would unite what? Tribes. So being that she is from Saul, from Benjamin, now is reunited with David, the tribe of Benjamin now feels a little bit more um, one with Judah because of that marriage. And so they're here at Hebron to hear all that it is that Abner is going to speak as well as there with David. And so we continue on here, and it says in verse 20, So Abner and 20 men with him came to David at Hebron. And David made a feast for Abner, and the men were with him. Then Abner said to David, I will arise and go and gather all Israel to my lord the king, that they may make covenant with you, and that you may reign over all your heart's desires. So David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. So what is it that Abner is going to do? He's going to set up another meeting, and all the elders now of the different tribes will show up, probably there in Hebron, much like Benjamin and, and David did with Abner, and they will feign their loyalty to the king and make a covenant with him so he could reign over all of Israel. So everything's come into place. Abner leaves. He's, uh, he's sent away in peace no fear of, uh, of any sort of uh, um, skirmish or turmoil or anything. Everything's working according to plan. Verse 22, And at that moment the servants of David and Joab came from a raid and brought much spoil with them. You know at this point things are going to go south. But Abner was not with David in Hebron, for he had sent him away and he had gone in peace. When Joab and all the troops that were with him had come, they told Joab, saying, Abner, the son of Ner, came to the king, and he sent him away, and he has gone in peace. Joab came to the king and said, What have you done? Look, Abner came to you. Why is it that you sent him away, and he has already gone? Surely you realize that Abner, the son of Ner, came to deceive you, to know you're going out and you're coming in, and know all that you are doing. So Joab isn't even asking why he was there, what has gone on since I've been gone. He went on a raid. It says he brought back much spoil. To get to a place... You can get to a place a whole lot quicker without a lot of spoil than you can coming back from that. So no doubt wherever he's raiding, he's raiding outside the land or he's raiding inside the land uh, uh, against, um, uh, against other nations that are, they're supposed to push out of the land. So as he's raiding, going down there, maybe it takes days or weeks to get to the place where they're going to raid. They raid it, they get much spoil. Now the time coming back is going to be a whole lot slower. Because a lot of spoil, a lot of cattle, a lot of sheep, a lot of whatever it is. It's so going to take them time to get back. By the time they get back, I would submit to you that for one, at this point, um, that uh, all of a sudden Abner uh, coming to David, 
uh, David saying, give me my wife, uh, Michael. Uh, Michael coming to him, um, all of a sudden uh, then going to all the other uh, tribes, then coming back to David saying, it's a done deal. Let's meet in Hebron. They meet in Hebron. All these things that have taken place, it's all taken place as Joab's been gone. So he comes back and he's going, what on earth has been going on since I've been gone? And so David is going to explain that to him and says in verse 26, And when Joab had gone from David's presence, so David was there. I'm sure David explained everything from you. A lot is probably going on in Joab's head. Um, He obviously does not trust Abner. He's a little biased against Abner. He hates him for killing his brother Asahel. He might also be thinking that although he's the commander of the king's army, look at what Abner has done in the weeks or month or two that he has been gone. He has unified the kingdom, is about to hand it over to David, all in his absence. And I have a feeling he's feeling a little bit insecure about that whole thing. He's already got a commander of the army. Abner's also a commander of the army. David's going to have to reward him somehow. What on earth could he give to Abner in the way of reward? And I would submit to you, he's probably thinking of some sort of uh, councilship that maybe Joab himself would have to report to. He's probably seen him either taking his job or being put in a position that it would be even higher than Joab's. And now this man that he hates, he would now have to respect. He would now have to answer to. He would now have to... All sorts of things, I'm sure, is going through his head. And then he protests to David that Abner has only done all this to get close to him and he was spying on him. And so when Joab had gone from David's presence, he sent messengers after Abner, who brought him back from the well of Sarah, but David did not know it. Without David's knowledge, Joab called Abner back, pretending to want a private com- conference of some sort, no doubt used David's name with the messengers, say, hey, David wants to speak to you uh, in Hebron. Maybe he didn't even mention his name. Okay? And so he turns around and he comes back. Now when Abner had returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him privately and there stabbed him in the stomach so that he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. Now, a few interesting things here. If Joab did send messengers and the messengers did relay that Job wanted to talk to him and David was also asking for him to come back and, and, and maybe he did know that Job was waiting for him. I want to speak to you a little bit about here's a man that has honor and here's a man who does not. Abner understands what war is all about. When people die in war, that's what it is. It's war. It's on the battlefield. It's not to be taken personally. Abner, no doubt, because of all the pleading with Asahel and and, and saying, don't come, don't come, stop following me, and then turning and having to defend himself and kill him. And then the dialogue with Joab after that and saying, go, leave, stop pursuing your brethren. And he said, unless we had spoken, I would have pursued you all night, but you're right. Brothers are killing brothers. After that, he's probably saying, okay, Joab understands I killed him in self-defense, whatever it might be. But he has no fear of Joab, whatever the reason is. And the reason is he's an, Abner's actually an honorable man. When it comes to battle, and he understands battle, he understands integrity, he understands honor, he understands courage, he understands all that stuff. And so now is the time of peace. Now is the time to lay down the weapons and let's talk, let's dialogue. 
And Joab uses that to his advantage. Now, he deceives, he deceives Abner to meet with him the whole time he's planning his death. That's premeditative. What Joab does, what Abishah does, is full-blown murder is what they do. They murder. To kill someone in war is not murder. Okay, But when there is no war, and to plot someone's death and trap him and deceive him, that is premeditated, cold-blooded murder is what that is. And that's exactly what they do. Now let me ask you something. This took place in the city gate. The location is pretty amazing, if you ask me. The gates of a city is where the elders of the city assembled to be able to uh, do land deals as well as to pass judgment. So this atrocity would have been seen by the city elders, which no doubt would have alerted David, and that's how David finds out of what Job has done. Job no doubt thought he was carrying out a, probably a righteous judgment, but it was vengeance is what it was. It was anything but righteous. The irony is the place. It's Hebron. Hebron was one of the six cities of refuge. I want you to go to Numbers 35 so we could read this. Numbers 35, starting in verse 9, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel. Say to them, When you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, you shall appoint cities to be cities of refuge for you, and the manslayer who kills any person accidentally may flee there. There shall be cities of refuge from the avenger, that the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation in judgment. And of the cities which you give, you shall have six cities of refuge, if, if Job really thought that his case was righteous. He could have grabbed him outside of Hebron, brought him into Hebron, and said, we, we, we need a trial now. He killed my brother. Well, was it an accident? It was no accident. Well, what were the... Uh, What's the situation? Well, we were in battle. That's a different situation altogether. That's not premeditative. He had to defend himself. They would have declared uh, Abner innocent of that. And so it says, um, And of the cities which you give, you shall have six cities of refuge. You shall appoint three cities on the side of Jordan. Three cities shall appoint in the land of Canaan, which shall be cities of refuge. These six cities shall be for the refuge for the children of Israel, for the stranger, the sojourner among them, that anyone who kills a person accidentally may flee there. But if he strikes him with an iron implement so that he dies, he's a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. And if he strikes him with a stone in the hand by which one could die, he does die, he's a murderer. The murderer shall be surely be put to death. Or if he strikes him with a wooden hand weapon by which one could die, and he does die, he's a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. The avenger of blood himself shall put the murderer to death. When he meets him, he shall put him to death. If he pushes him out of hatred while lying in wait, hurls something at him so he dies, or an enemy strikes him with his hand so he dies, the one who struck him shall surely be put to death. He is a murderer, and the avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death when he meets him. So the thought here is that you've accidentally killed someone. You go to the city of refuge. The next of kin is the avenger of blood. They will go to that city as well. They'll plead their case, and they will hear it, and they will declare the person guilty or not guilty. That's the whole point of the city of refuge. Now, in verse 33, 
Okay, starting in verse 30, it says, Whoever kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death on the testimony of witnesses, but one witness is not sufficient. Testimony against a person for the death penalty. Moreover, you shall take no ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death, but he shall surely be put to death. What does that mean? Family members can't come and say, Look, I'll appease you by just giving you this money. No, if you murdered somebody, you have to die, is what they're saying here. And here's the reason for it. Verse 33, so you shall not pollute the land where you are. For blood defiles the land. No atonement can be made for the land for the blood that is shed on it except by the blood of him who, what? Shed it. Okay. So David now has Joab and Abishai who murdered this man, Abner. What is it that David needs to do now? He needs to kill Joab and Abishai according to the law, or the land's polluted, defiled, according to God's word. But he doesn't do that. David doesn't take any actions against Joab. And so here in verse 20, it says, And afterwards, when David heard it, he said, My kingdom and I are guiltless before the Lord. Not really. Before the Lord forever, the blood of Abner, the son of Ner, let it rest on the head of Joab, on the father's house, and let there never fail to be on the house of Joab one who has discharge or leper, who leans on a staff or falls by the sword, who lacks bread. So he's calling down a curse on him. All these things keeps you from being where? In the sanctuary of the Lord. If you have a discharge, if you have some sort of oozing wound or something like that, if you um, uh, if you're a leper, you can't go into the house of the Lord. If you lean on your staff, if you are a cripple, you cannot go into the house of the Lord. If you fall by the sword, or, or, or meaning that um, uh, hopefully he's bringing down a curse that many of your uh, descendants will die tragically in war, um, or, or one who lacks bread, or he's bringing poverty upon them, that this will not escape the house of Joab, okay, because of this great atrocity that he's done. Be he who knows do it right and does not do it to him in his sin, the Bible says. And David, your nephews are murderers. You're the king. You're the only one that can bring judgment upon them. You're the only one. Now, I would say this. David represents who? Lord Jesus Christ. And what did Jesus do? Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus also paid the penalty of sin for, by his own blood. So he goes on, he says, So Joab and Abishai, his brother, killed Abner. I probably didn't mention this before, but as I've been saying, Abishai was also part of it. This is how we know right here in verse 30. So I probably should have mentioned that earlier. You're probably going, I, I only see Joab as being the perpetrator. Yeah, until you get to verse 30 there, and then we're told a little bit more information uh, that Joab and Abishai, his brother, killed Abner because he had killed a brother Asahel at Gibeon in battle. So Joab continues in this behavior, by the way. Um, as David says, I want you to save my son Absalom. What is, who's the guy that goes up and kills him anyway? Joab does. Okay, there's another guy by the name of Amasa that um, uh, David sends on an errand who, who was also a traitor. He was the commander of Absalom's army. But now since David is back, He's kind of back with David, and Joab never forgets the fact that he was the commander of 
Absalom. And so because he was delayed in getting back, he comes up to him and feigns a kiss to him and then stabs him and kills him. He's a very bloody man. As a matter of fact, when David concocts this idea of how we can kill Uriah the, uh, the Hittite, uh, one of his mighty men, because he slept with his wife Bathsheba, who is now pregnant, he pretty much lets Joab in on it and says, hey, I want you to bring this guy close to the wall and everybody pull back so he will die. And Joab has no problem with it. No problem with it whatsoever. Because in Joab's mind, the ends justify the means. <laughs> and we should never be in that place. And when you believe the ends justify the means, this is what's lacking in your character, integrity. So, verse 31 the appearance of, of Joab's actions is obviously uh, going to appear to many that David was behind the murder of Abner uh, because Joab is, is David's commander of his army. Um, David and, 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 and Abner have been enemies. So they're going to think that David was behind this. So in verse 31, then David said to Joab and to all the people who were with him, tear your clothes, gird yourself with sackcloth, mourn for Abner. And King David followed the coffin. And they buried Abner in Hebron. And the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner. And all the people wept. And the king sang a lament, a tribute over to Abner. And said, should Abner die as a fool dies? Your hands were not bound nor your feet put to fetters. As a man falls before wicked men, so you fell. Who's he calling wicked there? Joab and Abishai. Then all the people wept over him again. So he instructs his whole household to mourn. Um, David's feelings and conducts on the hearing of the death tend to not only remove all suspicion of guilt from him, but probably even turn the tide of popular opinion more towards him. Um, and so the other tribes probably um, saw th that uh, David was truly sin uh, sincere in this deceitful thing that has happened to Abner. Verse 35, and when all the people came to persuade David to eat food, while it was still day, David took an oath saying, God, do so to me. More also, if I taste bread or anything else till the sun goes down. Just so you know, that is what a normal fast is, is that you fast during the day, but then when the sun goes down, you do eat. And so now all the people took note of it. It pleased them since whatever the king did pleased all the people. For all the people in all Israel understood that day that it had not been the king's intent to kill Abner, the son of Ner. Then the king said to his servants, Do you not know that a prince, a great man, has fallen this day in Israel? And I am weak today. Though anointed king, these men, the sons of Zariah, are too harsh for me. That means uh, Joab and Abishai. They're too harsh for me. The Lord shall repay the evildoer according to his wickedness. And that's true. But remember David's responsibility now as king. Numbers 35, 33, blood defiles the land. No atonement can be made for land for the blood that was shed on except by the blood of him who shed it. So the land is defiled right now. The only way to take that away is if he allows or he acts like a king and leads and he actually passes judgment on Joab and Abishai that they need to be killed for the murder of Abner. And he definitely has it within his power to do so. But I would submit to you, even with those harsh words over Joab, even after he curses him and everything else, I would submit to you that was a very, very difficult thing for David to do because that's his blood. Those are his nephews. You know, the family reunions with his sister probably wouldn't be so great after that. But what is it that the prophet said to Eli? It says, you honor men more than you honor me. 
and I will honor those who honor me. And so quite often, your endearment to other people, your natural love and affection to other people, God will get in the way and say, you need to choose. You need to choose me or you need to choose them. And I'm calling you to do something. As I call you to do something, you know what it's going to do? It's going to hurt them. But what are you going to do? God honors those who honor him. That concludes this Thursday edition of Abiding in the Word with Pastor Dave Love. Listen in tomorrow as we continue our study in the book of 2 Samuel. If you live in the area of Castle Rock and are looking for a church to call home, be sure to come by and visit with us. We meet Saturdays at 5 p.m. and our Sunday service times are at 9 and 11 a.m. A combined junior and senior high class meets at 5 p.m. on Saturday evenings. On Sunday mornings, high school meets during the 9 a.m. service and the junior high meets at the 11 a.m. service. Our Young Adults Ministry, Arise, meets every Friday at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Castle Rock. Child care is offered for all of our weekend services. Calvary Castle Rock is located right off of I-25 and East Wolfensburger Road, directly behind Jack in the Box and the Shell Gas Station. For more information about us or this radio ministry, please visit our website at calvarycr.com or download our free mobile app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also call the church office at 303-663-2514. We are so blessed you've joined us today. Until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the Word of God. Oh,